Welcome to Revive, the marketing podcast for manufacturers. My name is Austin, and I'm here with my co-host Clint. Uh, and today we have a great guest, Carol Walton from Harbor Results, will be joining us uh, to talk about the state of the manufacturing industry, um, kind of what's happening currently as the year's coming to an end, and what to expect in 2019. Uh, so we'll jump right into it. Today's episode, we have uh, Kara Walton from Harbor Results. Uh, Kara is here to talk about some of the trends moving forward as we approach 2019 and uh, some things happening in manufacturing. So, Kara, I'll let you introduce yourself, your role, and what Harbor does. Great. Thanks, Austin. So, I obviously am Kara Walton. I work on Harbor IQ, which is the database side of Harbor Results. We are a boutique consulting firm based out of Southfield, Michigan, and we spend a lot of time in the manufacturing space and then in the automotive space. So we do a lot of work with operational improvement for clients as well as a lot of analytics and benchmarking. So we spend a lot of time learning about market intelligence and, and what's happening in the industry. Yeah, very well. I've uh, I've worked with Kara and with Harbor Results now, not on a professional level, but more personal. Um, and the work they do is uh, outstanding for the industry. So it's always good to, to connect with Kara again and then talk about some of these trends moving forward. Yeah, we we, um, we definitely see Harbor results a lot at the trade shows we're at, and definitely with the clients we we, we work with here at Vive. Okay, why don't you start off with talking about just the trade and the the tariffs that have affected manufacturing so far um, in 2018, and then maybe in a little bit conversation continues, we can talk about what's going to happen in 2019 and, and moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So. Trade has been a big, a big topic for the year so far. Um, it continues to be in the news, both on the manufacturing front and not on the manufacturing front, right? So specifically to manufacturing and automotive, there are four key things going on. And the first one, so the one that started it out was Section 232 steel aluminum tariffs. And that's a 25% tariff on all steel aluminum that's imported in the United States. So at this point, as far as Harbor is concerned, it was definitely a little bit of a detriment to the industry when it was first implemented, but the majority of people have found their way around it at this point. Um, there's some, you can either drill holes in tools or things like that, um, with the exception of the stampers. So a lot of the stamping guys, their raw materials are, are still pretty expensive because they're obviously using a lot of metal. And then the only key thing that's still happening there that will probably continue to occur in 2019 is that there's some inflation of the steel prices. So steel prices are up about 15%. We've been watching that consistently and we don't think it'll it'll continue to have a huge effect on the industry, just that increased material cost. So it should be okay. The second big one is the China tariffs. So those are the ones that are consistently going on. Um, so they're tariffing a few key things that they're tariffing are molds and then a lot of plastic parts as well as mold bases and dyes. So that's a 25% tariff on all of those goods. And then going into 2019, so the key change there is that recently it's come out that there's a 90-day hold, for lack of a better term, um, between President Trump and the president of China. And they've said that they won't increase tariffs or add on any additional tariffs until for the next 90 days as of I want to say this happened about a week ago. So that means that there's a third tranche. There are three different lists of tariffs. It gets, there's a lot of them. Um, there's a third list of tariffs that is supposed to increase to 25% in January of next year and won't do that now. So it'll stay at 
which is really good for us because there's a lot of plastic parts on there. Yeah, so that's it's it's a great thing for right now. The key piece of that is that obviously um, the president likes to have the balls in his court, if you will. So he's made the caveat that if China doesn't negotiate and they don't come to terms on an agreement that's beneficial for both sides, then he will continue to tariff after this 90-day period is up. So that's going to be one of the big things to watch next year is really what happens, right? There's been some good movement, we think, but we won't really know. So So with all those tariffs and uh, just currently what's going on, is that bringing a lot of reshoring for injection molders and tool builders in the United States? Is that helping them a little bit or is it still kind of overall detrimental to the industry? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's actually doing both, which I know is not a good answer. But <laughs> so it's it's helping tool shops in a lot of way as well as molders because tier ones and OEMs that are building parts in North America, specifically in the U.S., want it to stay in the U.S., right? So they don't want to deal with things crossing borders. People are pretty hesitant to have things cross borders right now because there are so many moving pieces with tariffs. But so it's been good news. So we've seen some work come back in, right? We've seen some molders and mold shops get more work. But on the same account, there's a lot of the other countries have imposed retaliatory tariffs. So like Canada and Mexico have done this, which means the same thing happens in other countries. So there's some work that North American and U.S.-based shops could have been doing that now is getting pulled back to like BMW is a great example. So BMW has a big plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where they make, it's like, it's their largest plant manufacturing the most vehicles in the world. So they export a lot of the vehicles that are made in Greenville out to other countries. And now BMW is currently building a plant in, I think it's Hungary to manufacture those vehicles because they're worried about the tariff, right? So we're seeing that happen a lot too, that people who are selling the goods and manufacturing the goods outside of the U.S., are doing the same thing that is getting work back for our molders and mold builders. So it, it's working both ways right now. Gotcha. That's interesting. So with with that automotive and, like you said, BMW kind of leaving and, and building in Hungary as well now, there's projected to be a dip in automotive sales. Does that have anything to do with, um, is it like cheaper to build over there than it would be in America? Or is it strictly just on the tariff standpoint that they're they're moving their production? I think a lot of it is on the tariff standpoint. Um, Depending on the country you go to, it is cheaper to manufacture outside the U.S. Obviously, there's a lot of low-cost countries that you can manufacture goods in, China being one of them. That being said, with all the tariffs that are happening with China and with a lot of different areas in the world, it may not be as cost-effective anymore. But one of the things that's happening with the drop in launches is that Originally, Harbor works with a forecasting firm called LMC, um, and they forecast automotive launches in the industry, right? So originally, they forecasted that 2018 was going to be a really big year, um, and we look at that based off tool spend. So it was going to be a really big year for tool spend. 2017 was a really big year for tool spend, and then 2019 was supposed to be this really detrimental drop. So what happened in 2018, which had a lot to do with the tariffs and had a lot to do with just overall state of the industry. So for example, like work on hold is up really high. So due to all these tariffs and due to all this trade, as well as other economic factors, a lot of tiers and OEMs have been pushing back the launches of new product, which ultimately 
stops stop 2018 from being the big year, right? Because all of this stuff was supposed to launch in 2018, and a lot of it didn't end up launching in 2018. So now a lot of that's going to be launching in 2019, which is good news and bad news, right? It means that 2018 wasn't as big of a year in terms of launches, but it means that 2019 won't be as big of a drop. So we're forecasting that it'll be a little bit even, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in 2017, we had $10.3 billion in total tool spend. In 2018, the original forecast was supposed to be $11.7 billion. And that didn't happen. What really occurred was that we ended up having a flattening of that line, right? So in 2018, obviously the year is not over yet, but we approximate that about 9.2 billion was actually launched, which gives you about 2.5 billion of wiggle room. Mm -hmm. And then that is going into 2019. So a lot of things will end up being launched in 2019 based off what we're seeing right now in the industry. That's very interesting because I was uh, I was definitely under the impression that 2019 was going to be a a big dip. I've been hearing a lot about the potential uh, recession, but it sounds like you're saying it's going to be more of a they kind of balance each other out because we hit the the tariff situation in 18 that kind of has that long term effect going into 19. Is that am I understanding that correct? Yeah, that's right. So that's a lot of what it is is that some of that will be going into 2019. The only thing that that kind of caveats that is what you just said about the recession. So there's been all this talk and people ask us the question all the time, is there going to be a recession? When's it going to be? And frankly, a lot of people have very different opinions. Um, a lot of people think that there's going to be a recession in 2019. Some think there'll be one in 2020. Um, there's been a lot of conversation around this yield curve. I don't know if you guys have heard anything about that, but it's been all over the news that a yield curve inverted um, and typically yield curves inverting indicates a recession. But the key caveat there is that this yield curve that inverted is not the one that indicates a recession. So it gets a little bit complicated when you're looking at treasury bonds and things like that. Um, but the yield curve that inverted is not the one that typically indicates a recession and historically has indicated a recession. So the question still remains if there'll be a recession in 2019 or 2020. From Harbor's point of view, we're not really sure that there's going to be one. We think that based off exactly what I just told you about what's happening with the automotive industry, the automotive industry seems like it's going to plateau a little bit, but it's not going to drop, right? Which is good news in terms of recession because auto has... It's not the only driver of a recession, but it's a big part of it. The biggest driver of the recession in 2008 and 2009 was housing prices, right? And housing starts and things like that. Housing prices are in a good place. They're not anywhere near like they were in terms of subprime loans and things like that in 2008, 2009. So that one isn't, that's not a key indicator. Additionally, GDP is up and it's forecasted to go down, but still be strong. So you're right that the talk around the town is that there's going to be a big drop in 2019 and 2020 and that there might be a recession. And obviously this is all forecast, right? We don't have any right. idea either, but we've done a lot of research on it and we're not so sure it's going to happen. There may be a lull or a contraction, if you will. So things might slow down a bit, but, but nothing, recession, like, nothing like 2008 or anything like that. Yeah, definitely nothing like 2008. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I've, I've kind of got a general question, I guess, about um, about Harbor. Uh, 
how how exactly do you guys keep that that pulse on the industry I mean, without giving up your secret sauce, of course? Um, you know, how do you, how do you guys come to these conclusions and, and predictions that you guys that you offer up? Is it obviously a lot of research? Um, but yeah, what, what kind of insight can you give us there? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have, I'd say, three different key things, maybe four, um, that we learn about that help us to come up to understand things like this. Number one, we as an organization, we're a small organization, but we're in as a company-wide, probably five to 10 shops a week. Like there are weeks where just me, I'm in five different tool shops. Um, and we have consultants that are on the road all the time that are going in and out of a lot of different clients. So that's one area where we collect our data. It's really just anecdotal, right? We go into shops and we understand what they're facing and what their issues are. Another way is that we do, like you said, we do a lot of research. We do a lot of reading. We belong to a lot of different or analytics newsletters, if you will. Um, and we, we read a lot as an entire organization. And then we talk about that. So we internally will have a lot of conversations about what's happening in the market, which helps because we understand, okay, so here's what the media says. And then here's what one of our consultants that was at this client says. The other thing that we do is we talk a lot with tiers and OEMs. So our ownership has a lot of relationships with the big tiers and OEMs in Detroit, um, as well as outside Detroit. So we spend a lot of time talking with some key people in those organizations to understand what they're doing and how they're preparing for the future, right? Because how some of these huge companies are preparing helps us better understand. And then the fourth thing that we do is we conduct surveys on a quarterly basis of the manufacturing supply chain. So we do quarterly surveys. Each one is a different theme. Um, so for example, we have one coming up in January that will be on financials that we have hundreds of shops respond to us, both tool shops and production houses, right? So both stampers and molders. And we take all that data, we analyze it, and then we use that to fuel a lot of this forecast as well. So it's really a, it's a mixture of a lot of different things. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. I, I guess, I, I don't know, my, my small brain over here thought it was a lot more simplistic than that. I guess that's, yeah, I guess a composite of all of that would lead you to some pretty solid uh, predictions. Um, yeah. So I'm glad yeah. you guys do that. And we you write, know, yeah. We, yeah, we do. <laughs> We'll draw something up, but we'll leave the the research to you guys. That's awesome. Um, you did touch on your, you know, you guys are very immersed in the OEMs. So is there anything going on as far as their restructuring or any announcements that we should know about the OEMs? Yeah, so there's been there's been a couple of recent announcements, right? So GM came out with this big announcement that they're shutting down five plants and a couple of a mixture of both assembly and propulsion plants, right? So this was a big deal in the industry for a couple of reasons. Number one, this was after GM's third quarter earnings came out and they were super profitable. And then they turned around and closed five plants. So you can imagine how that looks to the common person, right? You're sitting there going, well, wait a second. You had some crazy profit number and you closed five plants. Right. So, yeah, right. It, it seems super weird. So one of the things that we're watching with that is our belief is that GM is preparing for the future, right? So there's all these conversations with OEMs about mobility and about electrification and autonomous vehicles and on and on and on, right? And one of the big things that it's a huge turning point for the automotive industry, right? You're going from building a car to building 
at the end of the day, you're assembling like an autonomous bus, right? So it's really a very different thing. Obviously, I'm not saying that that's going to happen in the foreseeable future. But I mean, in 10 years and 20 years, you don't know. So GM is, in our mind, part of why they're doing this is so they can free up money and free up capital to be able to transform when the industry transforms, right? Whereas another big announcement that happened recently was Ford's announcement, right? So Ford announced that they weren't cutting, they weren't closing plants and weren't cutting jobs because they were really coming off the tailwinds of GM announcing that they were. So Ford kind of used that as, you guys are in marketing, you know this way better than I do. They use that as their way of saying, we're not doing what GM's doing, we're different. So they are um, moving people from plants. One of the plants is in Louisville, Kentucky, and one of them is in Michigan. So they're moving people around in plants, and then they're just changing some assembly lines. So it's not as detrimental. Yeah. Exactly. But then when Ford's earnings came out for the third quarter, they weren't anywhere near as good as GM. So in our mind, we're kind of looking at that going, okay, so GM's earnings were really good. It looks like they're preparing for the future. Ford's earnings aren't as good. It looks like maybe they're just trying to manage what's going on and aren't being as forward thinking, which is really interesting because that's some of what the media is saying, but Sometimes it's just more on the, like, for example, the unions are really upset with GM right now because they're losing, they're taking away a lot of jobs. So there's been a big focus on just what GM is doing poorly and what Ford is doing well. So the spins and what's happening is, it's interesting to watch. Definitely. And and just still on Ford, I don't know if this is even relatable to this. Does them, like, I know they announced that they were going to stop production of cars, except the Mustang, and just do trucks. Does it have anything to do with this or is that just kind of different business model? Yeah, no, that's a super good question. It definitely has to do with this. Um, so there's been an overall shift in the industry where people want SUVs and CUVs, which are like crossover vehicles, mm-hmm. the catchbacks, um, and trucks, and they don't want sedans. Right. Like just, I mean, if you drive down the road, right, you see that you're like, oh, there's way less Malibus and Ford Focuses than there are edges and equinoxes right so for dropping their cars from the market it was already in the forecast that they were going to do that but it just became a public announcement right so it wasn't really surprising but they're not the only ones doing that like chrysler is dropping a lot of their cars gm still has some cars but not only are they looking at dropping some of their sedans they're also the only ones in the market for north america so for the d3 GM, Ford, and Chrysler that are still producing cars. So it looks a little bit better for them that they might be able to still do that because obviously they're still part of the market that wants sedans, right? Right. So it's absolutely related. And it's the thing that we always watch in the industry is when we say it's really hard to make money on cars, meaning sedans, because, I mean, you guys, if you ever go buy a new car or a certified pre-owned car, whatever it may be, because both are really hot in the market right now, it's going to be way cheaper to buy a sedan than it is to buy a mid-sized SUV. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I just saw probably like a month ago there was a new a competitor for Tesla that just launched. and they were Rivian. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. What, what is it? Rivian? Is that what you said? Yeah, Rivian. R-I-V-I-A-N. They just launched a truck at the LA Auto Show. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that is what I'm talking about. So, And, and I believe that I read that Rivian, they, they build everything off of one one chassis is that so is that that 
obviously is something that I, I think I read that Ford is trying to do that with when they when they release the Bronco, they're going to use the Edge chassis, and yeah, that's obviously yeah, all no, that's about a super good question, and yeah, yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So that's it's funny that you brought that up about Rivian specifically. So they're commonizing platforms, which is super. It's cost it's cost beneficial, right? Right. Um, I don't know how to say that correctly, but it's it's good for them to commonize platforms because then they need less different parts. So they need to source less tools and they need to um, have less engineering and design changes and things like that because they can have two super different vehicles like the Bronco and the Edge and they can have the exact same platform, right? Or the exact same underbody. Um, obviously they're not exactly the same, but they're commonizing as much as they can. So the funny part about Rivian is that Rivian has come out saying that they do that, but to the best of our knowledge, Rivian's also only launched one vehicle. And that was three weeks ago, and it was the truck. Or two weeks ago, whenever the LA Auto Show was, right? Right. So it's it would definitely be interesting if Rivian is is really doing that. And they may trying to they may be trying to live to that standard, but I don't know if they're going to be able to. Like it, it's it's a great idea to commonize platforms, but it's not necessarily super straightforward, right? Because right you still want different cars. But it's funny that you brought that up because that's one of the things that Ford recently came out with, right? I think it was earlier, it was mid last week maybe, um, that they were commonizing their mirrors in their cars. So Hackett, the CEO of Ford has come out, like they used to have all these different models and all these different complexities of your side view mirrors in your car. And now they're saying that you can basically have one. I don't, I don't know the specifics yet, but that's the message, right? That they're going from having all these different offerings to having one. And that's because of exactly what you just said, because they want to save money, right? So they're trying to have one type of mirror to manufacture. It's their way of saving money and it's their way of trying to commonize it. Yeah, and it seems like that's going to be kind of a trend moving forward, um, just universal kind of for the consumer. Is there any other trends that you see happening in 2019 that you think is going to kind of take over manufacturing? Yeah, give us some freebies. Give us some freebies. Um, I'm thinking, I mean, I think those are the big ones. Commonizing platforms, going more into SUVs and CUVs. Um, I guess the third, another big trend that will continue to happen a lot in 2019 is I think the used car market will continue to be a, a super big deal and super prevalent. One of the things that happened after the recession and more recently is that people will lease cars and it's ended up being cheaper in some cases to lease a car than to buy and finance a car. So being someone who like, I have to go buy a new car next year, right? If I'm going to go to a dealer and I'm going to go buy a new car and I can lease a car for cheaper than I can buy a car and get a new car in two years because a lease is going to be two or three years. I'm going to lease the car and I'm not going to buy one. And then what that's doing, because consumers are making that decision every day right now, that's saturating the used car market with all these awesome cars that have like 15,000 miles on them. And then they're 50 to 75% the cost of a brand new car. So I think that in 2019, more people will continue to look the certified pre-owned or the used car route, especially younger people coming into the market, buying their first cars, right? Because I mean, if you want to talk about all the things that people in their 20s are facing, you look at student loan debt, you look at job openings and things like that, they're not going to want to buy a brand new car. It's going to be expensive. So they're going to go buy 
a two-year-old car with 15,000 miles on it. That's a very interesting um, idea, I guess, of, like, leasing or buying used. Do you think that will ever happen, happen in, like, tooling, where you could, like, lease a tool and pay, like, a, a lower rate and then... It's a very possible? interesting question. So uh, that's funny that you asked that. So that's we actually, Lori Harbour, my boss, and I were presenting at a client yesterday, and we had we ended up getting in this debate about prototype tooling and the cost of tooling being so high. So I don't, to the best of my knowledge, there's no way that we could do something like you're talking about, like leasing tools. But that being said, one of the things that we talked about yesterday is that the number of parts that you're making out of a tool is going down, right? Because complexity is going up so much and tools are specific to whatever part is coming out of the tool. So there is an element that there are more prototype shops. So there are more shops that are building aluminum tools, for example, that only make a certain number of parts and things like that. And you give up a little bit of quality sometimes when you do that, right? So the quality of the tool goes down, hence the quality of the part goes down. But your concept of leasing is, I, I just, I think it's interesting because that's one of the things in the, in the market that continues to be a sticking point is that even if you're only making however many parts out of a tool, you still need the quality of the tool to be hot, the, super high, right? So you can't really decrease the cost of building the tool, but whoever's paying for the tool isn't making as much money off of the parts that are coming out of it because they're not manufacturing as many parts, right? So I think that's an interesting thing to bring up because people need to get more creative in that, right? Because that continues to be a problem in the industry. So I don't know if it's leasing a tool, but Mm -hmm. the concept that tooling is expensive and we need to find different ways is it'll continue to be prominent. Definitely. Yeah. Especially with the tariffs and everything else going on. I think manufacturers are going to have to to get creative and figure different ways to come to terms or even pay for tools. So I think that's a, something to look for moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's it, it's a changing industry and one of the things that we we continue to tell people is just that you have to you have to be looking forward. You have to be thinking today to plan for tomorrow, right? You can't just be in the day to day, let's get everything done in the shop, let's get everything out on time. There's there's got to be at least a portion of your organization that's also forward thinking and looking at okay, what's going to happen in 5 years and things like that and how are how are we going to respond to that in terms of operations, marketing, employment, just employment, right? Exactly. Who you're employing. It's a big thing. Cause obviously the manufacturing industry, the average age is like over 50. So, I don't know yeah, exactly what there. it is, but it's pretty high up there. So you're, you're right. I mean, that's going to change a lot going forward because I don't know if I was 57 and had been working for 40 years, 30 plus years, I'd want to retire too. So yeah. In a shop too. It's, yeah. So, awesome. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to, to discuss today, Kara? No, I think we touched on the major things. Um, it was fun to talk about it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Thanks for joining us. Where can people learn more about about Harbor if they have questions? Yeah. So you can go to the Harbor Results website. Um, it's harborresults.com. It's pretty straightforward. And then if obviously all of our information are, is on there, and if you want to learn more, you can always put in a comment and it'll come directly to me. So I handle a lot of business development for Harbor. So all of those questions come to me. So if you have anything, you should go on the website and ask. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Kara. Really appreciate you joining us. It was a very interesting topic, a lot of new stuff happening. So 
I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for the time. Thanks again to Kara Walton from Harbor Result for joining today's show. Uh, there's a lot of good takeaways, uh, especially moving into 2019 that a lot of manufacturers can really implement. Uh, so thanks, Kara. We really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks to all you listeners. Uh, this will do it for our, our last episode for 2018. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us and, and listening to our episodes. And uh, we'll be back with new content for 2019. Uh, have a great new year.